0: listening to Samson scripted formerly known as Greenlight. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello world. We're here with Nick. Nick and I both have facial hair. Oh, mm. true. And that makes us brothers. You've you've got <laughs> you've got a lot better going on than I do. Anyways, we're here with Nick. And Nick's a great guy. Nick, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your family. Give us sure. the rundown on, on how life's going for you right now. Okay. Let's see. Um, like most people, I started out as a baby okay. um, <laughs> from there. Um, I grew up in southeast Idaho. Um, I'm married. I have five kids. We've been married for 17 years. Um, and we've... We just got a great life. We we live here in Utah right now. Um, I've uh, went to Ricks College in BYU Idaho. We'll talk about that in my story a little bit. Um, but that's kind of you just, served a mission too. Oh, I did. I Brazil. served a mission in Brazil. Yep. Okay. Belo Horizonte Brazil is what it's okay. called. And. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, the my story the, this aspect of my life that um, I came to share is about pornography, pornography addiction. Uh, struggles, um, and honestly it's a message of hope. Um, there's there's a lot of negativity, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry and concern, justifiably, mm-hmm. around pornography as an issue, as a subject. Um, being LDS, like, it's a topic that's kind of... we dance around it a little bit, we, we kind of talk yeah. about it directly, but only in certain ways and at certain times. Um, and all of that fed in, feeds into my story, mm-hmm. right? But either the, you or somebody you love very much is struggling right now. Um, and there, it, it, it doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to last. It doesn't have to be that way. Okay, so like I said, I started out as a baby. And has, uh, fast forward about 11 or 12 years from that point. Uh, I'm in Idaho Falls. And... I uh, I come across a pornog- pornographic magazine for the first time. My friend shows it to me. He says, "You got to see this." And I said, "What is it?" And, and what happened was, I think what happens for a lot of people the first time they're exposed uh, to pornography is like this emotional grenade went off in my brain. It it's this confusing, uh, exciting. Uh, scary embarrassing thing that just that happens right for for a 12 year old especially yeah yeah yeah. i i I have almost zero life coping coping skills at this point right when i'm 12 and i say whoa and um also like a lot of young teenagers who are first exposed i had a choice to make at that time um i i worried about it i fretted about it I'd heard a little bit about it. I knew that it was wrong, right? In my family culture, my church culture, my community culture, I knew that it was wrong for me. Um, So I worried, Uh, and I had an opportunity to talk to my parents. I had an opportunity to talk to my bishop, my ecclesiastical leader, and say, look, can I confide in you? Can I I share something that's happened that I'm I'm worried about? Um, And the thing, and looking back on it, I never really, I wasn't thinking this clearly at the time as a 12-year-old, but looking back on it, the thing that I was terrified of is that um, if I told someone, they would reject me, right? Mm-hmm. Not in those words, but it would be like, I, I was afraid that they would like see me as like, oh, think differently how you. could you, mm-hmm. yeah, like what? Yeah. what? You're not the person I thought you were, right? Mm-hmm. And so at the heart of... The decades that followed, that was that was the core of my fear was mm-hmm. rejection, right? And even even those people that don't struggle with pornography, still struggle with the fear of rejection, right? Right. Everyone's we, worried about how people view them. Yeah, mm-hmm. we want to belong. We're we are designed and created to connect and belong to each other, right? And so that that was the fear that kept me from sharing it with my parents when I had the chance to, um, so I kept it a secret, and in keeping it a secret. I never really learned how to process it and, like, get to the bottom of understanding what really I experienced and what pornography had to offer, both pleasurable, but all the harmful effects that come with it, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, growing up in junior high, super weird years, right? I mean, middle (laughs) school, junior high, it's, like, super awkward, and um, I'm surrounded by a bunch of other boys and girls that... Uh, have had a, a really similar experience to me, right? They're like, what is this thing? Um, and they've, they've drawn different conclusions, right? Depending on their family and their whatever. But uh, but that, that was it. It just felt like isolation. I felt like walking in the halls, being around people, and not really feeling connected. Because I knew I had a secret. I knew I had something that if people knew, they wouldn't want to be with me. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't want to be around me. So... Carried that into high school, same theme. Now at this point, I'm having regular interviews with my bishop. Um, he's asking me how things are going. Sometimes, depending on the bishop, he's asking me a little bit point blank um, if I have seen or if I struggle with pornography. Um, and always, it was um, my answer was always incomplete. I had a, kind of I had a lie that I had to hold on to myself that said, well. It's been a problem. It used to be a problem. But it's not anymore. Right? Mm. Um, no matter how long it had been since the last time I'd looked at pornography, that was always my story that I had to carry. that it, Because every time, it felt, you know, it was like, okay, this is the last time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to go back to it. I'm done. I quit. I, you know, do whatever. Send it away. Um, and since... Some, when somebody would ask me, like a bishop, I would say, well, oh, yeah, it used to be a problem. Now, I would never say how recently it was because I was, just, I was ashamed of that too, right? Um, but I would, I would just say, yeah, it used to be a problem, um, and it's not. So we're good now. We're good, right? Right?" And so uh, that, was how, that was the pattern of those interviews in my, in my life. Um, went on a mission. I, I, I was pretty brave and, and straightforward um, in my mission interview. Um, because I thought I was done, right? Had a great experience on my mission, and I came back, and uh, I came home in 2000, and that's that was the internet was just starting to get into homes. Mm. It was especially on it on college campuses, right? So I come back from from mission, go to school at Ricks, right? And there it is, yeah, right? Super fast, super accessible. Um, and then the more portable the devices got, right? When I got there, it was like big, des- big bulky desktops and, and computer labs, but um, laptops and then eventually mobile devices and everything. And it became easier to conceal. It became easier to just have quick access to it in the, those worst moments. So um, it was about this time, um, college years, I think, when I started to toy with the word addict, right? Um, I would hear it. And um, I, I always associated it with, you know, the typical just terrible drunk or crazy heroin junkie, right? The, mm-hmm. the guy that wears, he's just drat, like terrible clothes, can't keep a job, his family's just falling apart. Right. That's an addict, right? That's the picture of an addict. And right. so when it would come to my mind, either through, you know, conference talks or just General culture talking about addiction, mm-hmm. uh, pornography addiction. I'd always like process that and say, "Well, I, I don't think it's an addiction because I don't look like that. You don't I, don't, that I don't act like yeah. that. My family's intact, I've got a job. Hmm, must not be an addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to convince anybody that you've got an addiction, that I have an addiction. I don't care what the label is or what the, the quantifying information is to fall into that category of addiction, but I was stuck. Right? There was some aspect of my life, some behavior some, that I kept going back to. Um, and I, I I would set it down for good, but I couldn't stay stopped. Right, that's To me, that is the heart of my definition of addiction. Mm-hmm. Something I want to leave behind, and I swear it off for good. And it really feels like the last time, every time. Like, if you put a lie detector on me and said, was that the last time? I would say, yeah, absolutely. And it would come up true. Because I really believed it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, happens again. And and you just, uh, here I am again, you know. How did I get here again? Mm -hmm. I thought I swore this off. So, whatever your struggle is, um, whatever definition you want to use, um, the the pattern and the, the process of recovery that I'm here to share works, regardless of what the label is, right? So... I kept myself from getting help because I was afraid to adopt the label of addict, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so college years, good times. Mm -hmm. I met this great girl, (laughs) Um, and we started dating, and we got engaged, right? And so as part of that process of getting to know each other, you know, it's it's good to ask good, deep questions about where we've been and what we're like, you know? Mm -hmm. So she would ask me, she'd said, "She'd say, you know, have you ever viewed pornography? Have you ever struggled with it? Um, and I, I resorted to the same justification, the same lie. I'd say, well, it used to be a problem, mm-hmm. but it's not anymore. Um, and I knew it was a lie. At this point, I kind of started to face the truth. It's like, fuck, like, this is compulsive. You, you're not getting over this right now. Um... So I carried that marriage, or I carried that lie into my marriage, um, unwilling to lean on her for the help she could have given me. Right? If I had opened up and said, "Look, I'm I'm struggling, and here's where I am at, and here's what I'm doing to work on this. Right? Mm-hmm. Here are the steps I'm taking, and this is where I'm at. Honestly, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want to run the risk of being rejected. I love this girl, and I didn't want to lose her. Right? And so. The crazy justifying, rationalizing, addict thinking that I had in my brain was, well, I'll tell this lie to get into this marriage with her, and then I'll fix it, right? Then mm-hmm. I'll, uh, and that's <laughs> talk about okay LDS culture and pornography. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a straight up myth that getting married will fix the problem. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I hear it kind of a lot. That uh, what we need to do is we need to get these young men and women. Married, right, and then it'll it'll go away. It'll be resolved. Yeah. Not so, um, for my case and many many people I've talked to since. But um, I, I I took it into our marriage, this lie, and I'm carrying this this um, thought that okay, I've got this beat. I'll get married, and then it'll, things will work out. That went on for another thirteen years. Wow. Thirteen years of carrying that burden of saying. You know, this time, this time I'm done. This time I'm done, and I wanted to be done long enough. I don't know what that time was, but long enough to where I could go to her and like lay it all out on the out on the table and say I've had this problem, but I'm really over it now. I'm really, really right. over it. Um, and that was my plan all along. Um, so I would hear conference talks, sacrament meeting talks. Um, and sign articles, just everything, right, pornography and its harms would come up often enough to where I felt picked on, right, I -hmm. felt, I felt like, singled out, yeah, yeah, like, I'm the only one in the congregation that's struggling with this, Mm -hmm. and I felt isolated, and it was just like, you know, you just kind of cringe on the bench and slump down, and it's like, because nobody talks about it, Mm -hmm. right, nobody openly says, hey, I'm struggling, and, or I have struggled and here's what I've done and it's working. Um, so that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here to share the story. I'm because so I, don't, I don't want people to have to keep feeling that. You yeah. know? So, um, talk after talk after talk and that, that experience of really, really, really wanting to come clean and just start some kind of process of really healing. And um, it was just some high counselor's talk. Um, four years ago he wasn't even talking about pornography addiction he was just he just mentioned it in passing as part of his talk and it hit me again and the spirit was just I felt impressed like you can do this you can open up about this you know you need to and uh, that night we got the kids in bed and um, it just it wouldn't go away it just stuck in my brain and so I talked to my wife. I said, hey, can I share something with you? And she said, sure. Sat down, and uh, I said, oh, the only words I could get out right, were, I think I have a problem with pornography. That's all I could say. And it was a shock to her. Um, I kept it really well hidden, like most people who struggle with it do, because we're so very, very embarrassed and ashamed of it. So it was really hard for her. But we started a process together. Um, I talked to my bishop that week. Um, I started going to the LDS Church's 12-step program. Um, there are lots of other 12-step programs that are very helpful. I've been to several of those as well. But I started to admit, right? That was the first, very, very first thing that I had to do, was just someone outside of myself to just say, I'm stuck, and I can't figure out how to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that started my process of recovery, and uh, four years in, um, I'm enjoying a life of complete sobriety. It's <laughs> to be able to look my wife in the eye and have her understand what it means for me to be sober, right? to share a definition of what that really means, and for me to be able to tell that to her, um, is fulfilling and fantastic in a way I never expected it could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that I'm I'm abstaining from pornography use, right, as part of my program, it's opened up a whole bunch of other stuff in my life that's like, oh, you can be honest about this too, and this, oh, well, how about this, right? And all of a sudden, I don't carry any secrets anymore. I don't have any baggage that I'm carrying around wondering, if you knew me, I think you'd reject me. I think you mm-hmm. would decide that I'm bad like I've decided I'm bad, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't want to be with me. and. It's not like that anymore. Um, that's why I can be on camera, on the internet, uh, telling the story, because there's hope. Because I am filled with hope. So, um, to those who struggle, um, just just ad- just admit to yourself first of all that you're struggling. That it that you're trying, and it's not working. If you're still stuck, right? If you're still struggling whatever you're trying isn't working um, and there must be a different way and there is a different way and um, a lot of people say that or think I guess that the opposite of addiction is abstinence right? what I've learned since is that the opposite of addiction is connection mm-hmm. It's addiction thrives in isolation um, if I can hold on to those secrets and not get caught or if I do get caught, I can rationalize it away and say, well, it's not like you think, or it's not as bad as you think. And I need that, an addict needs that isolation to continue in the, the self rationalization. But what I really crave is connection, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the rest of my message is that um, I truly believe that we were built and designed and created as humans to connect. Um, that we that we yearn to be, to belong to each other. It's those are one of those things that, one of the few things that we carry with us into eternity are our connections with yep. people, our That's, relationships. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree. And so, with that yearning to connect, um, sometimes when we're young, or even when we're older, sometimes we get a misconnection, right? We get some way of coping with hard things that works temporarily right Mm. it feels good I feel alive I feel connected I feel like I don't have to face boredom or responsibility right Um, and this is the spot where you can take out the word pornography and you can put in any substance or behavior that lets me escape from my troubles right Mm. Um, people joke about phones diet coke video games, shopping, you know, um, some of the words in our culture are even funny to put like addict or uh, fiend, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and just because they don't necessarily um, harm our bodies with chemicals or just because they don't like really deeply harm our relationships like, like pornography and, and sex misbehavior, um, it's still a coping mechanism, and it's still us trying to run away from something and a uh, missed opportunity for connection, right? Because I can look at it badly, and I can say, well, quit running away. Quit, you know, quit trying to numb your feelings and all this stuff. But at the same time, I could look at it and say, hey, friend, you missed an opportunity for connection right there, you know? People love you, and they want to connect with you. And every time I choose to, to stay inside myself and say, I need, to, I need to work through this. For me, it's a lot of the old manly Mormon pride, right? Yeah. you got to fix this on your own, and you gotta, you got to push through and be a better priesthood man. Um, and it's different for everybody, right? Different messages of why I shouldn't do that. For me, a lot of it is like, I need to do this on my own. Um, but whatever that justification is that comes when it's like, I want to connect with someone. I want to tell them about my feelings. want to tell them about how this hurts Mm -hmm. Um, and then I say no I can't they're going to reject me and I go do something else to make that pain stop for a minute Mm -hmm. right Um, that's that's at the heart of my addiction and that's a missed opportunity to connect so instead what I do today is I take opportunities to connect Um, I have had to relearn how to be vulnerable right because on the playground is a little boy and I know falls right Little boy Nick wants to like. He says, hey, David, do you want to play with me? And David says, no, you're stinky. Go away, you know. <laughs> or you're, you're dumb. And that hurts. That sets a deep wedge mm-hmm. in my soul, right? Mm-hmm. And that happens to everybody at some point to where we draw a conclusion and say it's not safe to share myself mm-hmm. with someone else, right? And so a lot of us... Um, not just in the church but in the world we we get this perfectionist um, best self facade that we put out there so that I need to suppress all my weaknesses and all my failure mm-hmm. and and amplify and Instagram the crap out of my <laughs> my yeah. good stuff yeah. yeah so that you won't reject me right right and when I choose to be vulnerable and say like I'll go to my wife and I'll say you know what, I'm feeling sad. And this sounds so basic. It sounds like Sesame Street or something, right? <laughs> but I'll say, I'm feeling sad. Here's what happened today, you know? And the crazy thing is, that's what I needed all along, was to just be able to tell somebody how I was feeling, you know, and to have them say, hey, I'm glad you share that with me. Um, thank you for sharing that. And sometimes it's a, yeah, me too, you know? Uh, and, and that empathy kicks right in, and they, they can be there with me in that emotion. And sometimes it's like, I don't really know how that f- must feel, but I'm really glad you told me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for connecting with me and sharing that. So um, that, to me, is the opposite of addiction. Mm-hmm. It's choosing to connect. Mm-hmm. And a big part of 12-step culture, you know, different different meetings and different groups and... and uh, stuff like that, what they offer is a safe place um, to practice and learn how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. When you can go into a room and say, Hey, my name's Nick, and everybody says, Hi, Nick. You know, that's that's how you do it, right? Uh, Right that second, I feel welcome. You know my name. You know who I am. You know what I'm here for Mm because I'm in the same room with a bunch of others that struggle with the same thing I do, and you don't reject me. And I feel like I belong, and I can take a few minutes, and I can say, how I feel, what I'm struggling with, and what's working for me, right? And the more you keep doing that and working the advice that you get from from that group and from individuals in the group and stuff, you start to realize this feels fantastic. It's all of the good of the the rush of connecting and feeling like I belong and none of the, the hangover, the emotional hangover, the chemical hangover, whatever, right? And, um it's a it's a new way to see things um so the thing about 12 step um, is the I, I like I talked about I was afraid of wearing the addict label right I was afraid of showing up at a meeting because I thought it would be a bunch of you know sex addicts like swapping trade secrets and stuff you know like I didn't know what was going on in those meetings right yeah. what what do you get when you put a bunch of porn addicts together right I don't know and um, so I was super embarrassed, it, I sat in my car in the parking lot for like, I showed up, I think 20 minutes early, but then I sat in my car for like 30 minutes and went in late because I just sat there like, do I really want to do this, you know? Um, and I had my hat on, right? I wore my hat to the meeting and it was like down here and I just, <laughs> and I had my jacket and my coat, and I like sat in my chair and I was just like, I just really hope Nobody recognizes me here. That was—I was so terrified that I'd recognize somebody that I knew, and yeah. that they would see me there and they would judge me. How silly! <laughs> because um, as soon as I run into somebody there at a meeting, they're struggling with the same thing I am, yeah. and and I've done that. I've I've run into many many people that I know since then, and it's a wonderful, oh. like, uh, Sons of Mosiah experience. Seriously, uh-huh. where you're just like, wow. I am so glad you're here because now we have this deeper connection and we have some something so personal in common and we're here to support each other and it's it's an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it would I, I, I wish I hadn't been so nervous, but that's okay that I was. Mm-hmm. you know It was a pivotal moment for you decades in the making. yeah. yeah, it was deep and it was it, re- it was really that time that I faced it head on mm-hmm. and openly to say, Huh. addiction twelve step that's for other people. nope that's for me right I, I can do I can be here and I can do this because I need it and that was the beginning of my healing so i uh I had some thoughts for people who love people who struggle, people who love addicts um, and my my message is the same it's a message of hope um, I can see how frustrating it is um, to love somebody who continually makes commitments, makes promises, and then doesn't keep them. They just go back, right? And a lot of people who don't understand or are new to addiction and living in a household or in an in a extended family with addiction, it's tempting to say, why don't you just stop? Mm-hmm. Just stop, right? Yeah. And... Um, Addiction runs deep, and addiction is a very, very—it's um, a harmful way of, of coping that somebody learned at some point in their life, right? And the most serenity that a loved one can have in life is to, um, first of all, turn it over to God. Um, he. God loves your addict as much as he loves you, as much as he loves anybody in this world. And he will take care of them. He honors agency above all principles, right? Mm -hmm. And he won't jump in and just rip it right out of them. Um, But the prayers of those people who who have serenity and who love addicts go like this. Um, Father, this hurts. This hurts because they keep betraying me. They keep lying to me and it hurts. And he can be there and he can say, I know, I know that it hurts and I'm sorry. Um, And then the prayer can be, um, please help me, help my heart, help my mind to be in a place where I can support and love this person even though it hurts. Um, Because a lot of prayers, it's really tempting to say, make this change, right? Change this person for me. Um, because we love them and we don't want to see them suffering, right? But it affects us too. So we plead for him to change things. But the people that decide instead to rely on, um, on God's power and grace to comfort them in the pain and to be a support to their loved one, um, live amazing, fantastic lives. Um, and that's it, At that point, we kind of reach common ground between the loved one and the addict, right? They're yearning for connection. They're yearning for connection. They keep getting betrayed. They keep betraying themselves and can't figure out why. And what they really want to do is just make that connection and be vulnerable. Um, and so my experience has been that God is extremely willing and waiting for us to Ask for power to to manage what's going on in us, right? Mm-hmm. I've never had him answer a prayer. I, I'm not saying he can't. He's never answered a prayer of mine where I've tried to change someone else, mm-hmm. right? I've been saying, make it so that it's not this way, or or any circumstance, right? Right. He's he rushes right in the moment I open myself up to him and say, please change me in this moment. I need some comfort. I need some strength that I don't have beyond my own, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's that's the message I have for people uh, who love those who are struggling, is um, you can be okay. You can be taken care of. Even though they refuse to get help, even though they continue to lie, um, See them. see them as a sick person because they're sick. But the funny thing is, As soon as I open myself up to truth, like really deep truth, all of us are sick in some way. Right? Definitely. We all do stuff where it's like, man, why did I do that? I knew better. Right? Mm -hmm. And when I step into that perspective and say, oh, they're sick, like me, then that gives me some space to say, for some compassion, and to say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm trying, they're trying, our struggles are different, different flavored hairballs. but. But uh, we're both trying, and, and God will get us through this. Nick, thank you so much for sharing that yeah. story. I know that it's going to help a ton of our viewers, and I hope so. it it helped me just understanding everything more and seeing how far you've come. And yeah. oh, thank you so much yeah. again. I don't I don't think we can even adequately express with words how valuable this is and is going to be for people. Good. And the spirit that was felt here is amazing. So Good. thank you You're again. Welcome. We do have another episode with Nick that you can watch right after this one. It's kind of a part two. And we have Q&A with Nick that you guys ask the questions for on our Instagram. Anything and everything about pornography. And then Nick tackles them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be awesome. So yeah. be sure to watch that too. Uh, If you enjoyed this video, please subscribe to our channel, we would really appreciate it. You can hit the notification bell so you're notified every single time we upload a video. We're also on all the different social medias, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so you can check us out there as well. Thanks for listening, if you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.